Okay, welcome back to Healthspan. This is Michael. I know it's been a while since I've uploaded, but I am back with a good one. I will be discussing part one of Breath by James Nestor. Now, before I begin, if you're enjoying this content, make sure to please leave a review. And I'll go ahead and leave my Instagram in the episode description if you want to leave me a comment or any suggestion. So James Nestor begins this book by talking about a man who had been dealing with chronic nasal congestion his whole life. He had uh, poorly developed arches and his sinus cavity was always clogged and he had often relied on highly processed food and his mouth had begun so under underdeveloped that it couldn't even accommodate all 32 teeth. By age 17, this man had four impacted wisdom teeth and he developed sleep apnea, which is pretty much a chronic nocturnal choking. And his breathing had become so labored and dysfunctional that his airways became even more obstructed. His face would continue a vertical growth pattern that led to sagging eyes, doughy cheeks, a sloping forehead, and a protruding nose. And of course, James Nestor is talking about himself. He was this man with the chronic nasal congestion, the sleep apnea, the vertical growth pattern, the protruding nose. All of this was what James Nestor dealt with. And he developed this book to kind of show you the importance of breathing through your nose. So if you get anything out of this book, it should be the importance of breathing through your nose for your overall health. Now, he kind of goes into a history of uh, nose breathing. So for the past century, the prevailing belief in Western medicine was that the nose is more or less some ancillary organ, like we didn't even need it. And we should breathe out of, breathe out of it if we can, um, but if not, it's not a problem. So that, that's what the mouth is for. Uh, so that was essentially the prevailing theory in Western medicine is that if you can breathe out of your nose, that's fine. But if you can't, um, that's also fine. You can just breathe through your, through your mouth. Now, many doctors, researchers, and scientists still actually support this position. And in fact, there are 27 departments at the NIH, the National Institute of Health, which are devoted to lungs, eyes, skin, disease, ears, and so on. And the nose and sinuses aren't represented in any of these. So people are thinking, oh, it must not be that important. Uh, well, James Nestor decided to put it to the test. And what he did was he spent the next quarter of a million breaths, which is about 10 days, with silicone plugs blocking his nostrils and surgical tape over the plugs to stop any air from entering his nose. So for 10 days, James Nestor is going to breathe only through his mouth, which is pretty much a heinous experiment that will be exhausting and miserable. But he is trying to make a clear point on the importance of breathing through your mouth, sorry, through your nose and not through your mouth. Now, he goes into the fact that 40% of today's population suffers from chronic nasal obstruction, and around half of us are habitual mouth breathers. Uh, with females and children suffering the most. Now, there's a lot of causes why we are breathing through our mouths. Um, a few of them are dry air to stress, inflammation to allergies, uh, pollution to pharmaceuticals, um, 
But much of the blame, uh, as we'll soon learn, is that it can be placed on our ever-shrinking real estate in the front of the human skull. And what happens is, when the mouths don't grow wide enough, the roofs of our mouths tend to rise up instead of out. And this forms a V-shape or high-arched palate. And the upward growth impedes the development of our nasal cavity, causing it to shrink and disrupting the delicate structure in the nose. And this reduced nasal space leads to the obstruction and inhibits airflow. So this is what's happening. And uh, this is what James Nestor had. He, he developed this, um, you know, chronic nasal congestion and he wasn't able to get good airflow through his nose. And back to this experiment that he set up, the experiment is actually set up in two phases. So he's still going to do the 10 days through his mouth completely. And then the next 10 days after that, he's going to completely block his mouth shut and just breathe through his nose. So it's a two-phase, ex- again, it's a two, uh, two-phase experiment. Phase one consists of plugging our noses and attempting to live everyday life. And he'll eat, exercise, and sleep. Only He'll do it while breathing only through his mouth. And in phase two, he's going to eat, drink, exercise, and sleep, everything else, like he did in phase one. But he's going to switch the pathway and breathe through his nose and practice a number of breathing techniques throughout the day. So he and his friend uh, uh, Olson are both going to do th- this experiment, this 20-day experiment, and see what happens if you just breathe through your mouth for 10 days, and then if you breathe through your nose for 10 days. So a few months before the, stand- before the experiment, um, James Nestor actually flew to Philadelphia to meet with this orthodontist and dental researcher by the name of Dr. Mariana Evans. And she had been researching skulls uh, for the last several years and looking into their mouths. Um, And they went to this basement at the University of Pennsylvania Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology. And they were surrounded by a bunch of um, specimens. And all these specimens were skulls that ranged from 200 to thousands of years old. And there's something that Dr. Mariana Evans uh, noticed about these skulls. They all had very similar features. They all had enormous forward-facing jaws. And they had expansive sinus cavities and broad mouths. And one of the most fascinating things was they all had straight teeth. So obviously back 2,000 years ago, people weren't flossing, they weren't brushing in their teeth. But they all had straight, perfect teeth. Now, this forward facial growth and large mouths also created wider airways. So these people were likely, they never snored, they never had sleep apnea, they never had sinusitis, and they never had any chronic respiratory problems that are, that pretty much plagues uh, modern population. And when looking at these skulls of the modern, modern day, so people just like a a few centuries ago. Uh, Every modern day skull had the opposite pattern of what they were seeing in these ancient skulls, meaning that all their chins had recessed behind their foreheads, the jaws were slumped back, and the sinuses had shrunken. And all the modern skulls showed some degree of crooked teeth, 
again, these old skulls centuries ago had straight teeth. They had forward-facing jaws. They had expansive cavities and broad mouths. So there was obviously something going on um, throughout time. What, what, what exactly was happening? Well, James Nestor describes that the innovation, the innovation of mashing and cooking food had a lot of consequences. So our quickly growing brain needed space to kind of stretch out. And it took, it took that space from the front of our faces, which are home to the sinuses, our mouths, and the airways. And over time, muscles at the center of the face t- loosened and the bones in the jaws weakened and grew thinner. And the face shortened and the mouth shrank. And this left behind, of course, a bony protuberance that replaced um, the squashed snout of our ancestors. And of course, what I'm talking about is our protruding noses. So that's how we develop these protruding noses uh, compared to our, our, uh, you know, our primitive ancestors, these primates. And again, he goes back to the experiment. And last night in his first run of this, quote, self-inflicted nasal obstructed sleeping, James Nestor's scoring, uh, snoring increased 1,300% to 75 minutes throughout the night. And his, his uh, partner, Olsen, his numbers were even worse. He went from zero to four hours, uh, 10 minutes. So uh, James Nestor also suffered a fourfold increase in his sleep apnea events. And again, this was all within the first 24 hours. So his, uh, his sleep apnea worsened. Uh, just this first night, his snoring had increased 1,300%. Again, in the first 24 hours of completely breathing through your mouth. So he goes on to talk about the other poor consequences of breathing through your mouth in this experiment. So James Nestor's blood pressure had spiked by an average of 13 points from where it was before the test. And this actually put him into a stage 1 hypertension. And we know hypertension is a silent killer. It can cause things like heart attacks, strokes, and other serious problems. And also even worse, James Nestor's heart rate variability had plummeted, uh, which put his body in stress. And then there was his pulse rate, which had actually increased. And uh, his body temperature had decreased. Uh, His mental clarity uh, was not there. And worst of all, He said he just felt awful. Both of them were feeling just awful. Every day, it all seemed to just be getting worse and worse um, when he's breathing through his mouth. So he goes to this trainer by the name of Dr. John uh, Dulliard. And Dr. John Dulliard wanted to run some tests and do a bike experiment with James Nestor. Uh, Dr. Dulliard was this trainer of elite athletes. Uh, from tennis star Billie Jean King to many other triathletes to um, the New- the New Jersey Nets. So a bunch of famous athletes, uh, Dr. Jiller- Dr. John Dulliard trained, and Dr. and uh, James Nestor decided to meet with him. And Dulliard told him that simply training yourself to breathe through your nose could cut total exertion in half and offer huge gains in endurance. And his athletes felt invigorated while nasal breathing rather than exhausted. And they all swore off breathing through their mouths ever again. So all these athletes have better performance 
when they breathe through their mouths, and you'll see why in just a little bit. He then tells a story of uh, a man named Egil P. Harvolds, who back in the 1970s and 80s did an awful experiment that PETA would definitely not approve nowadays. So he worked in a lab in San Francisco, and he gathered a troop of uh, rhesus monkeys. And what he did was he actually stuffed silicone deep into their nasal cavities uh, into half of half of them. And then he had a control group that uh, let, let, him, let them breathe normally. And the obstructed animals, uh, they couldn't remove the plugs. So over the next six months, he watched what happened to these monkeys. And he measured the dental arches, the angles of their chins, the length of their faces, and other things as well. And he noticed that the plugged up monkeys developed the same downward growth pattern, the same narrowing of our dental arches and gaping mouth. All within just a few months, their faces grew long, they began to have a slack jaw, and uh, they began to kind of look like us. And he goes into saying that mouth breathing, as it turns out, can change the physical body and transform airways all for the worst. Inhaling through your mouth decreases pressure, which causes the soft tissues in the back of the mouth to become loose and flex inward, creating less space and making breathing more difficult. So this is creating a vicious cycle. Mouth, bre- mouth breathing begets more, begets more mouth breathing. Now, when, what happens when you inhale through your nose? Inhaling from the nose has the opposite effect. It forces air against all the flabby tissue at the back of the throat, making the airways wider and and breathing easier. Now, after a while, these tissues and muscles get toned to stay in this open and wide position. So nasal breathing actually begets more nasal breathing. This is a positive cycle. And he's closing off uh, this chapter by stating that it's the last night of the nasal obstruction phase of the experiment. And each night of the past week and a half, he's felt like he's been getting softly choked to death. That's the way he puts it in his sleep. And his throat was closing in on itself. And because it is, so was James. Forced mouth breathing was very likely changing the shape of his airways, just as it did in the monkey experiment. Now, what happened to his levels? Well, his snoring had increased 4,820% from 10 days ago. And for the first time, that he was aware, he's, he's beginning to suffer from obstructive sleep apnea. And another bad thing that happened was his oxygen, oxygen level actually dropped to below 85%. Now that is sort of unheard of because right now you're probably sitting there or you're driving in a car or you're walking and your oxygen saturation should be something like 97, 98%. And when oxygen levels actually fall below 90%, the blood can't even carry enough uh, you know, oxygen to support body tissues. And this is obviously devastating to our bodies. So his O2 saturation dropped to 85% after this 10-day uh, mouth breathing. Now, he talks about this Dutch physician in the 1500s whose name was Levinus uh, Lemnius, who quote, who quote, stated that more wholesome sleep with the mouth shut. For they that sleep with the jaws extended by reason of their breath 
and the air tossed to and fro, have their tongues and palates dry, and desire to moisten moisten by drinking in the night. So, I mean, this guy, this physician back in the 1500s noted that um, when we're breathing through our mouths throughout our night, throughout the night, our tongues and our palates get really dry, and mouth breathing actually causes the body to lose 40% more water. So why does this happen? During the deepest, most restful stages of sleep, there is this uh, gland that I've talked about before, the pituitary gland, which secretes a bunch of hormones, um, and it's regulated by the hypothalamus. The pituitary gland secretes hormones that release things like adrenaline, endorphins, growth hormone, uh, as well as another hormone called vasopressin. So vasopressin is also known as ADH or antidiuretic hormone. And this is a hormone released from our posterior pituitary. And what it does is it causes reabsorption of water in our distal tubule and collecting duct of our nephron. Okay, I know this is kind of confusing, but I'll explain it a little more. Uh, The nephron is this functional unit of the kidney. There's about, uh, I think, like 4 million nephrons in each kidney. And what happens is when ADH, antidiuretic hormone, gets released, it causes reabsorption of water in our nephron, causing us to hold on to water. Again, vasopressin, ADH. Now, when the body has inadequate time in deep sleep, ADH won't be released. In other words, we're going to be peeing more. We have no ADH, we're going to be peeing more, and we're going to be more thirsty. And this is what happens in chronic sleep apnea. Vasopressin or ADH won't be secreted normally, and the kidneys will release water, which is triggering us to urinate more, and also consume more liquids. So James noticed in this experiment that he was getting up more during the middle of the night to pee, and he was also very thirsty because of this mouth breathing. So another reason why uh, we should try to breathe through our noses. And James stated that he read this report in the Mayo Clinic, which found that chronic insomnia, which was long thought to be some psychological problem, is actually really a breathing problem. And we know millions of Americans suffer from insomnia every single night. Um, They end up staring out their windows or looking at the TVs and they just can't sleep. And they can't sleep because they can't breathe. So really this chronic insomnia is a breathing problem. And... James also noticed that mouth breathing was also making him dumber. And he talked about a recent Japanese study that showed that rats who had their nostrils obstructed or forced to breathe through their mouths, they ended up developing fewer brain cells and took twice as long to make their way through a maze um, compared to the control rats who were able to breathe through their noses. So mouth breathing was even making him dumber. Again, another reason to breathe through your nose. So he ends this chapter by stating, Back in my bedroom, staring out the shadow, uh, play of branches in the window, I'm hoping that I can reverse whatever damage I've done in the last 10 days and the past four decades. I'm hoping I can relearn to breathe the way my ancestors breathe. I suppose I'll see you soon enough. Tomorrow morning, the plugs come out. So he finished, he finished phase one of his experiment, 10 days of breathing through the mouth. And then now he's going to breathe 10 days through his nose, completely through his nose, no mouth breathing. So he goes back to another doctor, uh, this pulmonologist, and the pulmonologist said to him, you look like shit. 
So of course, uh, this pulmonologist runs a bunch of runs a bunch of tests, uh, like a pulmonary function test. He takes an X-ray, he takes some blood work, um, and of course, James Nestor is is doing awful because he's breathing through his mouth completely uh, for the past ten days. Now, uh, this first step in the recovery phase is to just breathe through the the nose all day and all night. And he points out here that the nose is crucial because it clears air, heats it, and also moistens it for easier absorption. We all know this. But there's a lot of functions that we, we didn't know about that James Nestor describes here. So there's a lot of, again, unexpected rules. And what he puts here is that what so many people never consider is the nose's unexpected role in problems like erectile dysfunction which I will get back to. So remember, uh, the nose plays a role in erectile dysfunction. The nose can also trigger hormones and chemicals that can lower blood pressure and ease digestion. It can also respond to stages of women's menstrual cycles. It also regulates our heart rate, opens the vessels in our toes, and stores memories. Again, this is a lot of information, but again, remember that the nose has more function than just clearing air and uh, heating it and also moistening it. It can play roles in our our body temperature, erectile dysfunction, uh, heart rate, um, and other things as well. So I'm going to get back again to the erectile dysfunction in a second. But first, James talks about um, another doctor named Richard Kayser. Now, Richard Kayser, back in 1895 describe this phenomenon of nasal cycles. So nasal cycles was something uh, Kayser discovered, and he noticed that the tissues lining one nostril of his patients seemed to quickly congest and close, while the other would mysteriously open. And then about 30 minutes to four hours later, the nostrils actually switched or cycled. And this shifting uh, appeared, appeared to be uh, influenced not by some something random, but more actually by sexual urges. So again, Kayser noticed that there was this cycle of breathing. First, we'd uh, uh, continue our breathing through one nose mainly, and then switch to the other nose as a, as a dominant breathing. And again, the interior, interior of the nose, it turns out is actually blanketed by erectile tissue. So this is probably the coolest fact I've read in this book. Uh, our noses are actually lined with erectile tissue, and within seconds they can they can engorge with blood and become large and stiff, um, just like what happens when we get an erection. And this happens because this no our noses are actually more intimately connected to our genitals than any other organ. And after uh, this doctor Kayser he discovered this nasal cycles, uh, decades kind of passed and nobody really offered a good reason why the human nose was lined with erectile tissue or why the nostrils cycled with breathing. Um, but what researchers eventually managed to confirm was that uh, nasal erection tissue mirrored our, our states of health and it would become inflamed during times of sickness or other states of imbalances. And something else they noted is that this right and left nasal cavities also work like a HVAC system, which help control temperature and blood pressure and feeding the brain chemicals to kind of alter our mood, emotions, and sleep states. So you can think of it this way. 
the right nostril is the gas pedal. When we're primarily inhaling through our right nostril, uh, the circulation speeds up, the body gets hotter, and cortisol levels, blood pressure, and the heart rate all increase. And the reason this happens, the reason why when we are primarily breathing through our right nostril is because this is when we get activation of the sympathetic nervous system. So the sympathetic nervous system is part of our autonomic nervous system, and this causes the flight or flight response. So think about it when you see, when you get scared, um, we always learned it as the four F's, fight, flight, fright, and sex, or fuck. And breathing through the right nostril, nostril will also feed more blood to the opposite hemisphere of the brain. So breathing through the right nostril will feed the left hemisphere of the brain. Now inhaling nostril, inhaling through the left nostril has the complete opposite effect as it is to the right. Instead of activating our sympathetic nervous system, we're going to be activating the parasympathetic nervous system. This is our rest and digest system. You can think of it as this brake system. So the right gas pedal, left brake system. Now the left nostril um, shifts blood flow to the opposite side of the prefrontal cortex. Again, left nostril, right brain. And the right brain is, again, this area that influences creative thought and plays a role in the formation of uh, mental abstractions and um, production of negative emotions. And there was actually this very cool experiment done in 2015 at uh, UC San Diego, my alma mater, where they recorded the breathing patterns of this woman with schizophrenia. And over the course of three years, they had found that this woman had uh, a left nasal, uh, left nostril dominance breathing. In other words, uh, her cycle was more like towards the left nostril. Again, the left nostril feeds the right hemisphere. So this breathing habit, they hypothesized, was likely overstimulating the right side of the brain, again, the creative part of her brain, and causing her to uh, develop all these hallucinations. But what they did with this woman was that over, over several sessions, the researchers taught her to breathe through her opposite, um, her opposite nostril, and what happened was she actually developed uh, fewer hallucinations just breathing through the different nostrils. So I thought that was a cool experiment uh, that they did. Now, moving forward, um, he talks about a story about uh, George Catlin. George Catlin was this uh, uh, conductor, and he kind of popularized uh, the glories of nasal breathing. So what this man, George Catlin, did was he traveled to various tribes, um, Indian tribes, like uh, the Sioux, uh, Blackfeet, Pawnee, Cheyenne. Um, he traveled to all these tribes and he made portraits. And he also took a lot of notes and eventually wrote a book. Now, he writes in his book that having never seen a dentist or a doctor, the tribal people had teeth that were perfectly straight, as, as regular as the keys of a piano, he puts. Nobody ever seemed to get sick, and the deformities and other chronic health problems appeared rare or non-existent. And he puts here that the Native Americans explained to Callan that breath inhaled through the mouth kind of sapped the body of strength, deformed the face and caused stress and disease. 
This is something that the Native Americans were saying, saying to Catelyn when you breathe through your mouth. On the other hand, breathing inhaled through the nose kept the body strong, made the face beautiful, and prevented diseases. And healthy nasal breathing started at birth with all these Native Americans. Uh, mothers in all these tribes would actually uh, do some practices like close the baby's lips with their fingers after each feeding. At night, they would stand over the infants and gently pinch their mouths shut if they were opened. And all these Native Americans were these, uh, they were beautiful, they were tall, um, they had strong facial features, all because of the mouth breathing. Now, he published this book again called The Breath of Life uh, in 1862, and the book was devoted solely to documenting the wonders of nasal breathing and the hazards of mouth breathing. Now, one more doctor we're going to talk about is Dr. Mark uh, Ber Berheen, who had been studying the link between mouth breathing and sleep for decades, and he told James Nestor that mouth breathing contribute to... Um, periodontal disease and bad breath and was also the number one cause of cavities and breathing through your mouth is actually more damaging than sugar sugar consumption bad diet and poor hygiene so that is again another reason why we should not mouth breathe and we should breathe through our noses now another reason we should bring breathe through our noses is that one of the many benefits is that our sinuses actually release a huge amount of nitric oxide and in fact, nasal breathing alone can boost nitric oxide sixfold. Now, uh, us men know the importance of nitric oxide. Nitric oxide, um, this is the way sildenafil or Viagra works. It increases the amount of nitric oxide to improve blood flow to uh, our genitals and other areas. It can also has, uh, plays a role in our uh, immune function, um, our mood. Uh, all of these can be uh, heavily influenced by nitric oxide. Again, nasal breathing alone can cause nitric oxide to boost sixfold. And he ends this chapter by stating that if I were to endeavor to bequeath to uh, posterity the most important uh, motto which human language can convey, it should be in three words. Uh, those three words are shut your mouth. So those are the three words that um, are the most important in the human language, he states. And um, again, sh uh, shut your mouth and breathe through your nose. So with that, I'm going to shut my mouth because I just finished part one of James Nestor's uh, book. And tune in next episode where I talk about um, more reasons why you should breathe through your nose. And... I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you learned something. Um, and again, make sure to leave a comment or a review. And uh, tune in next week for part two of, of this book. And uh, thanks for listening.